listening to the Games Industry Doctors podcast. I'm James Batchelor and I'm joined this week by Rebecca Valentine and Marie D'Alessandri. We're going to be talking about the biggest stories of the past week, starting with CD Projekt Red. Uh, enforcing mandatory crunch on Cyberpunk 2077. Now, this emerged earlier this week. Um, it was kind of one of those kind of reportedly sources suggest it was all came from uh, Bloomberg, J- uh, Jason Schreier over on Bloomberg, but um, studio head Adam Dowski basically came out and essentially confirmed it on Twitter. Um, People at CD Projekt Red who are working on the development of Cyberpunk 2077 are now being forced to work six-day weeks. They will be required to work the usual week plus some nights and at least one day weekend uh, per weekend. That's in the run-up to the November 19th launch. The game has gone to cert uh, or certification for Sony and Microsoft. The game is kind of in theory, like the game is done, and they're just they're, this is this is probably some massive day one patch that we can expect to sort out any kind of uh, bugs and kinks. Um, now, crunch on a big AAA uh, project is not exactly news, and sadly, it's not exactly uh, unusual. But what was particularly galling in this case was. Um, Badowski himself and uh, one of the studio co-founders last year in an interview with Jason Schreier said we have a a non-obligatory crunch policy. So we may ask people to work extra hours, but we will never demand that they do so. It is entirely optional. Mm -hmm. Um, Polish labour laws do mean that people do get paid overtime. um, So it's not unpaid crunch but that doesn't make it any better and yeah just the idea of i think it was eight weeks now until um till launch and everyone's having to 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 crunch on this having a year ago been told no we're not going to ever force you to do this because you know we don't want to be that studio and now they are very much that studio let me just let me i just i just i don't okay so we we've talked on this podcast about crunch a lot because it keeps coming up um, and one of the things that we have said in the past is that a a sort of positive change we have seen in the industry is that now more people seem comfortable talking openly about how sucky crunch is, right? Like there's articles about it all the time. Um, it, it comes out. People, it, it it's becoming more of a thing that you could talk about, whereas, you know, maybe... I don't know precisely precisely how long ago, but maybe five, ten years ago, it was sort of this unspoken thing that everyone accepted. And now that we have more articles, more people, you know, openly talking about it, it's uh, there's there's sort of a pressure existing right now, right, um, on on companies to maybe get their shit together. So that's something that we've talked about before. Now this just this is galling. This is very very frustrating because so on top of the fact, on top of what you just said, James, about you know they they said. Okay, yeah, we're not we're not going to crunch on this. We're not going to do it. Uh, no mandatory crunch. So this, the the, the original story uh, was back in May of last year. Um, it was over at Kotaku. Jason Schreier also, um, and the the premise that he set up the story on is that um, he was trying to book an E three appointment for Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven. You know, just like a normal go play the game, talk about it, whatever. Um, and CD Projekt Red reached out to him to put him in touch um, with the the studio head and director of this game, um, specifically to talk about working conditions. Um, because CD Projekt Red, I believe it was Witcher 3, um, that had uh, some real uh, wild, bad crunch in its development. I, I think that's correct. It was like a year of oh, crunch. Yeah, um, so, so they, they had a history. Yeah, they yeah. absolutely had a history. And they were like, hey, we want to talk about this. We want to talk about how we're going to do better. Like, it, this is this was very much a, a, like a, a move to get some good PR, right? That's exactly what it was. And that story was kind of fascinating because, um, as, as the kids are saying now, um, they came out of that story looking real sus, 
right? Like, um, <laughs> just real suspicious. Because when you read that old article from May, um, it very much reads like... Um, it very much reads, it reads like me trying to have a conversation with my parents about whether or not they're social distancing or not. Um, because, you know, I go talk to them and they're like, oh yeah, we're, we're social distancing. And then they proceed to tell me like five things they're doing that are very not safe things to be doing, you know, going out to eat in crowded restaurants and not wearing masks in grocery stores. And I'm like, wait, didn't you just say? Um, so at the top of this article, they're like, no, no mandatory crunch. But then like you read between, you keep reading and you're like, wait, no mandatory crunch. But they're still asking people to, to stay extra hours. Hours, they're just not making it obligatory, which, as we know from all these other crunch stories, this this sort of pressure to, oh, well, you don't have to stay. You're not going to get fired if you don't stay, but everyone else is staying over mm. the weekend and working extra hours. So, I mean, if you don't, I mean, it's up to you. You can make the choice, right? That, that's exactly what it looks like. Like, that whole article is very much, mm. and this is not me knocking on Jason Schreier. I mean, he did, he did good reporting. I'm talking about the, specifically C CD Project Red coming in and being like, oh, yeah, you know, we're not crunching. Look at our good PR. We get the headline. We're not going to crunch on this game. Um, and they have like this very specific line at the end. This is from uh, the article back in May. Uh, CD Projekt Red approached me because they wanted to make a public commitment to their employees' health. It's a pledge that they say they want to be public so that employees can hold them to it. If a developer wants to opt out of Crunch or take time off and their manager is resistant, perhaps they can say that they read on Kotaku that it was okay. Maybe that'll work or maybe it won't. And guess what? It didn't work, folks. It did not work. Um, and they just came back and it happened anyway. And I, I this is not surprising, right? Like, this is not shocking to anyone. But I just think it's like kind of really galling of them to a year ago come forward and try to get this big good PR move by saying that we're going to do this thing that is just this this horrible thing that is consuming the industry. We're not going to do it. We're going to we're going to be better now. And then they're just, you know, going to come back around and say, well, we exhausted every other option. So guess we have to do mandatory crunch or whatever. So I just this is just like deeply ridiculous to me. I I am so glad that Kotaku did that piece last year so that it's out in public. I don't actually think that's going that's making any kind of difference, but it is like useful to sort of like hold the two pieces together and be like, well, we can't trust these guys anymore. Um, and I, I think that uh, it's something that can definitely be pointed to in the future when studios say, yeah, no, we're, we're not going to. We're planning on not. Well, okay, what's your plan for that? And what happens when you get down to the wire and you find that you don't have enough time to make a video game without exploiting your workers? So rant over, sorry. Uh, the, no, that, 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 that is, is great. A good rant. Yeah. It's a good rant. At the risk of talking in, in CD Projekt Red's defense briefly, very, very mm. briefly, and perhaps undeservedly. <laughs> no, 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 no. Bear with me. Bear with okay. me. This is kind of defense, but also further criticism. Like, I'm re it's even more disappointing because I, I can see in some ways that they have tried to avoid this in that Cyberpunk was originally due for release in April and they pushed it back to September. And then they pushed it further back to November. And that, to me, suggests that, you know what, they recognised there's too much work here. We're not going to crunch people like you know, from Christmas to April. We will push it back further. We'll get an extra... They've had an extra seven months in the hopes, I imagine, of... Or, you know, at least part of that, that seven months has been in the hopes of not crunching or at least minimising the amount of crunch they have to do. Um, like I say... I, I, also, cyber, you know, there's just the sheer scope of Cyberpunk 2077 just from the looks of it. Like, it's going to be, you know, open, large open world games are complicated to to develop and, like, they are going to inevitably end up with bugs and conditions and so forth. And you think the, the sheer hype and anticipation for this game, if it, if it comes out on November and it's buggy as hell, it's going to get absolutely 
just slated by reviews. And this game needs to do well because I think CD Projekt Red have invested so, so much of it. I, I wonder how much of the company's financial fortunes rely on this game to an extent. I know The Witcher had a sudden surge of um, interest and so forth, but okay, apart, apart from the fact that The Witcher has, has been doing fairly well over the last six years and got a proper boost last year, like they don't release the games that often, so they need this one to be good because we're looking at a good few years before we get a Witcher 4. Someone also kind of pointed out to me that the, the reason the reason they're probably not delaying it again is because there's probably by this point there's loads of marketing and stuff in, in place. I mean, certainly they've been doing those um night Nightwire episodes, like the little half-hour broadcast of game info, and all the trailers end with November 19th. I assume there's a ton of massive marketing coming up uh, October, November, which now would be too expensive or too much of a loss to you know to, to cancel. But it's still just really, really disappointing. Like, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull out a couple of um, Badowski's quotes again. Um, so he, apparently, this was this is reportedly from the internal email that was sent to staff, being told you now have to work six day weeks. Um, I take it upon myself to receive the full backlash for this decision. Uh, I know this is in direct opposition to what we've said about crunch. It's also in direct opposition to what I personally grew to believe a while back, that crunch should never be the answer. But we've extended all other possible means of navigating the situation. I think this means that... OK, let's, let's, let's be very, very generous and say that CD Projekt Red believed that they could create this epic, huge, massive masterpiece without crunching. And that turns out to be not to be the case... It almost it almost feels like a major studio now is saying like there literally is no escaping crunch. But that, so as much no, as we, we as, that is so not okay, it's bullshit. Absolutely. No, like, I, I agree. I agree. It's bullshit. Like you can all you can always delay the game or cut absolutely. stuff back. Yeah, and, and you, there are, there like, are reasons are they're answers. not doing that, right? And, and like I I get it. There are like business reasons they're not doing that, but those business reasons do not trump well being of workers, right? Like like that that's like absolute nonsense. Like decisions were made at different points along here um, that led to this point. At some point, someone you know would should have looked at this, and either they did and decided it was worth it, or they didn't look at it, you know, their their pipeline correctly and. And they they should have. But at some point, someone was looking at this and knew this was a possibility and did not, you know, take the steps to avoid it. Right? Like absolutely. That, that, I think that's really the thing that that's bothering me the most. Like this this quote that we've extended all of the possible means of navigating this situation. No, absolute bullshit. I am so tired of this. I am so tired of like CD Projekt Red getting a pass for everything and like uh, not for everything. Sorry, I'm just angry now. But just it. This makes no sense whatsoever. And like Rebecca was saying earlier that. This isn't even surprising and that's the worst bit of this situation is like they keep promising stuff that they actually do not respect and at this point i truly believe that this company has no respect for its staff like genuinely i am it, it is beyond my understanding that you could after the the statements they made in the past now be like oh yeah we make crunch mandatory like there are examples of games out there that have like a large scope that have been made without crunch and like while I, I totally understand the need at the end of a project to like put in a few more hours here and there there is nothing for me that like justifies justifies um making your health uh putting your health in danger there is nothing that i can understand about this situation and what really bothers me is I feel there's for me there's multiple reasons why cyberpunk is a game I'm not gonna buy despite the fact I really do want to but if I need any more reasons this is all the one and importantly I think it's not gonna change anything people are still gonna buy this game they're gonna say it's amazing and everyone is gonna forget 
that crunch is how this game happened. And this is driving me crazy. And I am so tired of having this conversation. And please, people, unionize so we can avoid that shit ever happening again. Because, like, I'm, I'm so done with it. Sorry, I swear. Maybe no, you're, so you're, you're absolutely right. And I, I think that's the thing, right? Like, like, ultimately, we can write all the articles we want about it and we can podcast all we want about it. Everyone can tweet all they want about how crunch is bad, crunch is bad. But that is not going to change the sales. Um, you know, it, write, writing about it and talking about it helps normalize it publicly, but it doesn't uh, it, it doesn't solve the problem, right? Like, like when they came out in the Kotaku article, um, you know, back again, like last year, at, at the end, he was like, you know, we, we, want our, we want our developers, we want our workers to hold us accountable, which, um, you know, w- was, I guess, oddly prescient because, like, you know, they were asking the press, um, you know, to write about this, but th- the press can't hold them accountable. Their audience is not going to hold them accountable. The people that should be holding them accountable are the people who work for them. And I, I don't mean, I, I don't want to, like, put extra onus on the people who are already, you know, dealing with this, but that's ultimately where movement has to come from, right? Like, it until until the people who are in, the, in this industry decide that this is not tenable, this is not something that they will accept anymore, then this is just going to keep on happening. So, yeah, uh, collective action. Mm-mm. Get in there. Get in there. I wonder what happens next. Like, I wonder if, you know, staff are, staff are inevitably going to push through and get to the end of this project. Because if you, if you drop out of this game, like, you know, eight weeks before the before the end like even if it's I, I mean I'd, I'd love to see some people like drop out eight weeks before the end for the sake of their health that would that would be a good thing for them um but I can't see that happening so I wonder if um it would be kind of certainly post-launch and certainly post-Christmas if there will start to be kind of an exodus of some sort of staff from the from the studio kind of like I am not going through that again I would hope you would hope that that's what happens um just as you would hope that the players would you know would you know not buy the game and not reward practices of crunch but that's that's not going to happen completely on on that note like and this is the least least important concern but i'm just intrigued like to you two like so maria you've already said you are not going to buy this game no i mean in part now because in, in part because it's crunch like so i i i purposefully did not buy red dead redemption 2 because we reported on that crunch and I was, and, and because it sounded awful and I was like you know what no I I don't want to be I know I've heard that you know like do you know what boycotting games doesn't actually help the staff who who rely on the sales for bonuses or whatever the hell but like I thought you know what no I'm not going to spend my money on something that has punished people I'm not going and eventually it came on game pass and I downloaded it and I had a, had a quick go and then when I was playing it it's like yes okay this is incredibly detailed but w- at what cost and the whole experience was tainted for me and that's absolutely not an important concern compared to people literally burning out but from an end view, end user's point of view, how can you enjoy something knowing that actually this has killed people? And I, I've really been looking for cyber, Cyberpunk. It's been my most anticipated game of the year. It's been one of my most anticipated games since I, since I saw the first gameplay at E3 a couple of years ago. And now I know if I do get it, I will be playing it and I'll be looking at every nuance, every detail, thinking... Yeah, but at what cost? James, with all due respect, like people do that all the time. Like, like people constantly yeah. consume things that they know were were manufactured or put together under like various shady con- conditions. And I, ultimately, I think you have to kind of like you know make certain decisions, right? Like for yourself. I mean, you're not, you're right. Like, like not refu- me, me individually refusing to buy Cyberpunk is not going to materially harm anyone, right? Like, like boycotts in the games industry and boycotts in general don't don't tend to work. Um, so I think you just ultimately have to make like your own personal ethical decisions, um, you know, in how you feel about things. And I, I can't, I'm not really going to pass judgment on people who enjoy, who still want to play cyberpunk or who want to play dead. Um, 
but I mean, yeah, you, you just, I don't know. You, you kind of got to make that decision for yourself. And I don't, I don't think that ultimately the vast majority of people, I don't, I don't think that the vast majority of people who buy cyberpunk are even aware of this situation um, because the vast majority oh, no. are not deeply online reading Bloomberg and Kotaku. Um, but I also think that those who do, you know, the vast majority are not, are not going to be so swayed that they're going to actively not buy a game they were going to buy anyways. Personally, I know that I've always struggled to come to terms with the idea of buying Cyberpunk anyway. Like, when I initially, I had little interest in Cyberpunk, then I did the Gamescom demo, and I thought it was fantastic. And then I saw other things about it, and I was like, okay, that's a game I really, really want to play. It looks amazing. And then they're starting, uh, there was this whole thing uh, about the transphobic ad that they put in the game. And I was like, okay, this is so not okay. And then I felt like from that point onwards, it just kept getting worse. And like every new controversy, I was like, Jesus Christ, like get a grip, you know, like this is ridiculous. And then the crunch reports and then this, and I'm like, at this point, I'm just done with this studio and I'm okay with it. Cause there will be plenty of other games for me to play. <laughs> so like, I'm okay with not playing cyberpunk. I just, I can't, I just can't, but that doesn't mean that people can't play it. Like, you know, it's just my personal corner of the universe that has literally no impact in anyone. And I, I'm really happy if people can enjoy that game. And I'm, I have very close friends that will generally enjoy that game and that is okay. And like, this is not me like trying to have an impact on like, it's not a boycott. It's just like, I'm just done, done with them. That's it. <laughs> That's it for me, cyberpunk. Bye-bye. We're going to move on to news about Pokemon Go. For this, we are joined by Lottie from Eurogamer. Lottie, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. No worries. Um, so, Niantic has announced that some of the tweaks that it made to Pokemon Go due to the COVID pandemic, uh, changes they made to kind of make it easier for people to play at home without having to go places because obviously, you know, social distancing and all that. Um, they've now announced that some of these tweaks are going to be permanent. Marie, you actually wrote the story up. Like, can you I talk did. about which 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 changes are permanent? Which uh, what's what's the step? Sorry, my uh, my understanding is um, the temporary measures that will stay for good are the following. Uh, so the number of gifts you can carry will now always be twenty. Uh, your first catch of the day will always grant you three times the status and XP compared to the following catches. And instance duration will remain at sixty minutes. There are also some changes that. Um, are going to stay for the foreseeable future. So they didn't really give a timeline here, as far as I'm aware, at least, which is the new rules for the Go Battle League. So, for instance, the decreased uh, walking requirements and the ability to spin, to spin Pokestops and Gym Discs from further away. Uh, so that's going to stay for now. Um, yeah. Now, having not played Pokemon for about four years, I think now. No, not four years. That's when it launched. About three years now. <laughs> Um, I have no idea what any of that means. So, Lottie, this is where we turn to you because the the Eurogamer team are you guys are still big into Pokemon Go. Like I seem to remember, like when are you, when we used to be allowed down the office, you guys used to go off on raids and stuff. Oh yeah, I still play quite a lot when the um, app will allow me to. Uh, it's gotten notoriously bad on my phone, which is hilarious. Um, so it's quite interesting what they've actually chosen to um, keep and what they're getting rid of because stuff like the um, maximum number of gifts is something that players have been asking for quite a while to be increased because it just um, prevents you having to constantly go out and find them, especially if you're using them for the research press lines. 
looking on Silk Road, the Reddit vote, the one people have really kind of the change everyone's really kind of a bit iffy about is the the change to the fact that the increased effectiveness for the incense will now only apply while walking. And I think the genuine worry for a lot of people is, well, if I'm still isolated because of COVID, how will this affect how I play? Mm. And so I did a test earlier before the podcast, just sitting in the office. And it seems like the effectiveness is still quite good. I was getting roughly one Pokemon per minute rather than two. So it seems like this is actually for Nintanic quite well thought out. And I say that because um, I think it was yesterday they've had to change around the schedule of their events because they realized they had one overlapping next week, mm. which is uh, classic Nintanic, really. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess, like, how, how do you expect this to kind of... Um impact the way people play because like pokemon go i mean the clue is in the title it is all about going places and you know going to the stops going to the gyms going to um you know community events and so forth going to physical meetups going out with other people and i know they they temporarily tweaked it so that it was easy to play at home when we when we foolishly thought naively perhaps thought that this would all blow over in a few months um and here we are staring down at you know second or third waves depending on where you are in the <laughs> in the world and it's it's not changing. So like, I guess the, a game that was built around location-based gameplay, i.e. going to other locations, is now going to be as much a stay-at-home game. Like, is that is that a good thing? Well, what really surprised me is, like, back when things were getting serious and we were kind of, like, in our homes, you were like, well, Pokemon Go, it's pretty much dead now. But it's very clear that Nintanic sat down very early on and were like, okay, how do we protect our game? Because we've seen multiple updates throughout the last couple of months, like remote raiding, which lets you raid from home. You have the Team Rocket balloons, which allows you to take part in battling the Team Rocket characters, which were introduced last year. Like Those balloons actually appear at your location. So you don't have to go anywhere. And stuff like the increased distance, if you're lucky like I am to have at one end of your flat, you've got a Pokemon gym. Uh, at the other end, you've got a Pokemon stop. All you really have to do is go from my bedroom window to my living room window, and I'm fine. It does seem like they've sat down and they've gone, okay, so how do we bring this game to our homes? How, how do we ensure that people can still play? And a lot of the efforts this year have been around ensuring that. And you look at... Um, GoFest, which is the big event for every year, that was a completely stay-at-home event. You didn't have to go anywhere at all. They did hourly cycles for Pokemon types, and they were great. You had an awful lot of spawns appearing every hour. Um, The main research quest line they had throughout the entire thing, uh, I think I just sat down on my bed and just didn't move and just did the whole thing. So with these restrictions, the ones that they've changed really are just the distant-based ones, like the egg hatch distance. So if you can't go outside, this really doesn't affect you. I would also, I, would, I absolutely agree with Lottie. Um, I, 
I have actually felt, and, and I, again, recognizing everyone's in different situations here. Everyone plays Pokemon Go at a different, you know, at different frequencies and different amounts. But as someone who plays it sort of sporadically, like I'll play for a few weeks and then, you know, stop playing for a few weeks and then come back for a few weeks. Um, the the times that I have played um, during the pandemic, I have felt almost overwhelmed with how generous the game was being. Um, you know, it, it was before, you know, a game where you very much had to do some sort of physical movement and work in order to get the rewards. You know, you had to, you know, go on walks and go places to find Pokemon and spend Pokestops and do all these things. And now, I mean, you know, at least at least for the last several months, I, I could literally just sit at my desk and open the game and play basically the fullest extent of the game from my desk, not moving at all. And I think everybody's situation is different. Some people in larger cities um, or, you know, for various health reasons, um, may may not be able to go out at all, and I, I recognize that, and I don't want to downplay that at all. Um, but I do think that it, with the with the changes with with the things that are reverting back to the way they were before at the moment, um, it seems like it's still okay because they're not requiring you. They're they're not doing anything that's going to require you to gather in large groups of people, right? Um, they're not they're not doing anything that's going to require you to go to like go stand in, in close condensed groups at landmarks, right? Um, it's it's not the days like when this game just launched and everybody's running in a crowd because someone saw a Vaporeon across the street. That's not what's happening here. Um, the the amount of you know work you have to do for certain things is you might have to go outside and walk down the street to a Pokestop if you don't, you know, like Lottie have one like right on top of your house or whatever. Um, and and that I think in most places is okay. I mean, I recognize I'm, you know, in a, in a particular position because I live, I live in Kansas City where, you know, I, I live in a, a very quiet neighborhood where I can walk outside and walk down the street and not encounter a single person. Or if I do encounter a person, like one of us can just walk on the other side of like the sidewalk or the street or something. And we don't get close to one another at all. It's very safe. Like there's no, there's no remote. It's it's not possible that we're going to expose one another or anything like that. So I, I think this, this seems like normal. And I also think that this, it's important to mention, you know, it's, it's October that they're bringing these things back. Um, This was, I don't necessarily think that this is them trying to say, oh, well, the pandemic's over. It's fine. We can just go back to normal. I, I don't think that's what Niantic's trying to say here at all. Um, Pokemon Go is very much a seasonal game. Um, and all of the the benefits they were giving people um, were kind of approximate to the amount that people are going to play Pokemon Go in you know, pleasant weather. Uh, as things get colder, people are going to play less. That's just the trend that we've seen over the last three years. And so I think these these kinds of, you know, minimizations coming in around that time, I guess, sort of make a kind of business sense, right? Like they, they've they been giving away all these freebies for so long, they know they're not going to get the surge of business from it that they were getting before. And so, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying, I, I don't think that these endanger anybody. Um, and I'm not saying that like, there's sort of a trade off of safety and business here, but I, I just think it's sort of the, the, the logic makes sense to me. Yeah, I agree. And you think we've had these bonuses for somewhere like it's at least four to five months. And that is the warm part. It's now definitely autumn here in Brighton. I don't particularly want to go for a nice long walk just to hatch some Pokemon eggs at the moment because I'll get rained on. And you can tell that there's definitely been some for and they've probably looked back at how people have played in the last couple of years and gone okay October is a good time and it'll be interesting to see with how the current world situation develops when we get into next year on whether some of these things come back into the game 
It's also interesting. Um, I believe the the change that they made because the, the the concern when all this started, obviously, is that you know people can't travel as much, they can't play as much in the in the same way they were. Therefore, they won't get, engage as much, which therefore they won't spend as much. And they made these changes, and, and lo and behold, I believe it was um, July after the Pokemon community event there i think it was like a four-year high i think they, they re- had like the most lucrative days for the game since launch um and, and that's with everyone playing at home like you said earlier Lottie, like everyone's playing at home and yet still spending just as much if not more than they were than they have been in the last four years so it's clearly not the, these changes aren't harming niantic in any way so why wouldn't they continue them yeah i think what rebecca said as well about this not being Niantic being like, oh yeah, the pandemic is over. This is this is this isn't what it is for sure. And I'm just constantly impressed by by this developer's ability to fine-tune the game and to react extremely quickly to what is happening and to make changes that make sense when they happen. Like I was quite blown away by uh, the tweaks they made when the pandemic started and really made me want to go back into the game actually, because I used to play like I think I've played every single day since launch until like a year ago. And the reason I stopped playing is because I felt like the game wasn't giving me enough in uh, the location of my new flat. Like I moved houses and all of a sudden it was a bit more isolated and I just wouldn't, I didn't have any Pokestops and stuff. And so like in my previous flat, I could literally like do raids from my bed because I was just on a gym, which was amazing. Um, So I stopped playing. And so when I saw those tweaks, I was like, this is just great. And same way now I'm thinking this is as Lottie and Rebecca and James already highlighted the a good time to do it and it doesn't it's not random they chose the right time to do it and the changes they're reverting make sense and the one they're keeping also makes sense it it is things that really improve the gameplay experience beyond just now being a pandemic like the number of gifts thing is like amazing because I gifts being limited to, I think it was 10 before, was really extremely annoying. So I'm really happy that this is going to say for sure. And uh, maybe that will finally get me back into the game. I say I'm, I'm tempted to go back myself. So I play, I stopped about a year after launch for two reasons. One is that I wasn't going out as much. I wasn't going to places where there were Pokestops. So it was kind of pointless playing. And I think I'd reached the stage where like I... I wasn't catching any new Pokemon. So it's like, and I know they were starting to release ones from like new generations, but I was still still trying to complete that Kanto Pokedex. But it was also because uh, Pokemon Go just killed my phone, or rather I killed my phone to play Pokemon Go. Because fun fact, the office, I, believe, I don't know if this is still the case, Lossie, you'll let me know, is a Pokestop, or at least right on top of like two or three Pokestops. Is that well, still- thanks to the increased distance, I can now reach about <laughs> five. Nice. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Which is- I used, I, used, I used to sit with it. Um, the, the days I did come down to the office, I'd sit with it plugged, like permanently plugged in. My phone would be plugged in and I would set a timer. I'd be opening it every five minutes to, you know, spin a poker stuff and, and, and top up my bag. And then I would log out and log into my wife's account and top up her bag. And I, think that's why my phone I went died. to Pokemon Go Fest. Well, went, I, I say went to. So, you know, I, I attended Pokemon Go Fest. It was a it was a virtual thing this year. You bought a digital ticket. You could do it from wherever. Um, the first day, I think I, it was very, very hot. It was the middle of the summer. And I think I did like one lap around the neighborhood, decided it was too hot, and then sat in my living room the whole rest of the time and participated in the entire event. And then the second day, I... 
I really wanted the experience of being out somewhere. So I went to, there's a, there's a big park downtown that I was able to go to where again, like nobody remotely near me, like plenty of space. Um, and I, I set out like a pic picnic blanket and I sat on this picnic blanket and was able to do almost the entire event from this picnic blanket kind of in the middle of a park downtown. And then I think I did like two laps around the block to hit like a couple of stops. And then that was it. Like I was able to do everything by not moving at all. And it was both incredible and I think necessary at the time, but also kind of not what I, in my heart feel Pokemon Go is. And so I, I think, I think it's okay um, to kind of ask people to move a little bit more now. Um, I, I don't, I don't think they're asking people to go spread COVID to each other. I don't think that's what's happening here. Yeah, I think they've just generally probably literally just looked at the stats and gone, well, we need to do something. And they really do seem quite well thought out. Like the big ones for me are like, they've kept up the incense duration. So it's still an hour. So if you only want to have it on for an hour, you can. And the increased distance means that you don't necessarily have to walk as far. Screw it, I'm downloading it. <laughs> you should. Amazing. story of the week is Genshin Impact. Uh, this is the free-to-play Chinese-developed, um, everyone's calling it a Breath of the Wild clone, um, but it's a little bit more than that. Uh, Rebecca, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn to you for that in a minute, but Marie, you've been covering the game's success and uh, how well it's been doing, so uh, care to share a few stats with us? Sure thing. Uh, so uh, Genshin Impact uh, released this week on Monday, I mean last week by the time you listen to this, uh, on PC, PS4 and mobile. And uh, it is already the second top grossing app on iOS in China. And it is only beaten there by um, the Chinese version of TikTok, which is called Douyin. I hope I'm pronouncing this right. Um, it also had uh, 110,000 concurrent viewers on Twitch only a few hours after launch. And it has become the biggest international launch for a Chinese game. Uh, so yeah, overall, pretty, pretty good figures. Um, the developers also shared like the pre-order numbers, which were like pretty impressive for Chinese games, uh, Chinese game as well. So 5.3 million people pre-registered pre on the game's website outside of China, and 16 million people in China uh, pre-registered for the game as well. Um, it was also in the news this week because of its anti-cheat system, which was a bit controversial at first because it would keep running in the background of your PC even when the game was not. Um, on and like even after uninstalling the game, the the system would still run in the background. But they actually addressed that like in so quickly. I think in twenty four hours or maybe thirty six hours. I can't quite remember now. I think it was thirty six hours. They promised they would solve it in thirty six hours. There you go. Um, and they actually addressed it uh, and changed it and tweaked it. And now it doesn't run in the background anymore. So these are the two reasons why it was in the news this week. So I actually, I actually downloaded this um, last night. I haven't had a, a chance to play it. I'm hoping to try it. I, I was quietly hoping it was out on the Switch because I don't know why. I, I, I'm one of those weird people that I feel like, right, that is a Switch game. That is a PlayStation game. Like this felt like a Switch game to me, partly obviously because of the Breath of the Wild um, leanings. I'm just intrigued to see like I've had a non-Nintendo Breath of the Wild um, style game. But, but Rebecca, you've actually been playing it. Like how Breath of the Wild is it? Uh, it's, it's pretty Breath of the Wild, honestly. Uh, vi visually, the they have that kind of... Uh, 
Ghibli style, big grassy field, big hills um, kind of look, right? Like, like, like visually, it looks a lot like Breath of the Wild. Uh, I mean, the characters are very uh, more anime-y, I guess, than than Breath of the Wild is, obviously. But um, the 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 environments are very Breath of the Wild. Um, but then also beyond that, like uh, design wise, it's also very Breath of the Wild. Um, there. There, there's a set of enemies, like, like, so you meet, like, slimes are really early enemies, which slimes are, like, very generic video game enemies, but another um, enemy that you meet very early on are these things. I, I think they're called hilly churls. I'm not really sure. Um, they basically just look like the moblins from Breath of the Wild, and they live in camps exactly like the ones in Breath of the Wild that have, like, explosive barrels and little uh, lookout towers, and they will come at you with wooden shields and shoot arrows at you, and you can, like, blow up the explosive barrels and ruin their camp, and they will have like a locked chest behind them. And if you beat them all, then the chest will unlock. Like it, it's exactly like Breath of the Wild in that regard. You can climb things. You have a stamina meter that is again, exactly like Breath of the Wild. There's a cooking system that's almost identical. Um, there's uh, the, the ways things interact with one another in the environment, uh, you know, water and ice and fire are all j just deeply similar. Uh, there's a day and night system and a weather system. Uh, it's just, it, it's very, very, it, it is, as my partner has said, uh, he calls it litigiously close to Breath of the Wild. Um, <laughs> there are even a couple places where the music, there there are these temple, they're not quite, the the sort of dungeons that you go into are not quite uh, as close to shrines as I, I think that, um, I think they could be, but uh, the, the music within those kind of dungeons that you go into sounds very much like the shrine music. It's just, it's very close. That said, I really, and I, I really like it. Like, I don't, I, I see why it's doing so well. Actually, I, I was uh, I was uh, complimenting Gene Park on Twitter earlier because uh, he he wrote an article on it for the Washington Post, and the headline is Genshin Impact tries an interesting live service trick, make a good game at launch, um, <laughs> which honestly I think is what they did. It is it is very good. It's it's a free game, um, and I think I think there's sort of a. I would sort of balk, right? Like a, like a free-to-play game that I know has gacha elements. Because that, that's sort of the big thing, right? That, you know, set, there's there's like two main things that set it apart from Breath of the Wild. Um, one is that you, you, so you have your main character who's called the Traveler. Um, you get them at the beginning of the game and they, you know, hit with a sword, whatever. Um, but then all the other characters, you get a few throughout the course of the story, but then the rest you get through a gacha system where you trade um, paid currency. You can, all, you can earn the currency through the game, but it's slower. You can also just buy it outright with real money. Um, but you basically, you know, throw, throw the currency in into, uh, into the game and then it it spits out random characters or items for you basically um, so you can get um, all these different characters um, and you can swap between them very quickly um, in the game and they all have they all play very differently so there's like I think five or six different um, five or six different weapon types and each character specializes in a different weapon um, so, you know, you have your sword fighter, your bow and arrow person, uh, your spear, your magic person, whatever. Um, and then they also each have a different element. Uh, so the, the main character starts out with wind. Uh, there's, a, there's a character that I got very early on who uses a giant club um, and is the earth element. So she has earth-based abilities. I have a mage that uses water attacks and can also heal. Um, and they're, they're set in their element and their weapon type that they use. So using the gacha system, you get all these different combinations of characters and you can switch between them so freely that it actually feels like it's a different kind of play style, right? Like it's, it feels sort of rewarding to use the gacha system, but also the game gives you enough different types of characters just as a baseline that if you don't want to engage with it, it's not obtrusive. Like it's not constantly screaming at you to, hey, you need a new character to unlock this. Hey, you need to spend money on our game to keep on playing. Like it feels good, but not required, if that makes sense. See, that was going to be my next question was, 
we've done how Breath of the Wild is it, how free to play is it, and it it doesn't sound too free to play because that's always my concern. I'm 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 terrible. I I keep on downloading free to play games, thinking yes, I can play this and I can progress for free, and then forgetting that no, there is massive barriers and so forth, and I will never reach the end. I will never progress. I will never complete it unless I spend money or dedicate all of my time to this. So I, I've, I'm, I'm apprehensive about trying it. I have but so it far, sounds... yeah, I've put in, I've only put in a few hours. I put in like maybe three, four hours into it so far. I have not hit a wall yet. Um, it, it feel, honestly, it feels really good. Like the only, the things that you get from spending real money are just more, more roles at characters and more roles at weapons. But you can get, you get like, again, you get a baseline of characters just through the story that are enough to explore the world fully. And you get weapons just by exploring too. So it's not, it's really not that bad, I don't think. Like, I, I have not hit a point yet where I felt the game was going, hey, pay money to, you know, get past this very tedious thing. Honestly, like it shows you where the gacha elements are really early on. It shows you where they are in a menu and it hasn't really bothered me about them again. I've just sought them out on my own because the game keeps throwing free currency at me. Um, it's it's honestly been really good. And I think, I, I guess to go kind of back to the Washington Post headline, like I think that's sort of why it's, it's seeing some success, right? Because it's a free to play game. It looks like a game that we all love. It's different enough um, kind of with those elements and things like that that I was talking about and kind of the gacha stuff and the different characters um, that it, it distinguishes itself. And it's not just like a total outright clone, even if it looks like one at times. Um, but then it it's also, it doesn't feel like aggressive. It doesn't feel obtrusive. And maybe it does later on, like maybe people are hitting walls that I don't know about, but I'm honestly really impressed with it. It is, it's a really genuinely lovely game. I'm having, honestly, it's nice to just go run around in a big open field for a few hours where my biggest problem is like a dragon. Um, it feels really good right now. Okay, well, that is all we've got time for, and I apparently have Genshin Impact to try, so thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thank you again to Lottie from Eurogamer for joining us for the Pokemon Go discussion. You can find this podcast on all podcasting platforms of choice, and don't forget, like further on this feed, you will also find the five games of episodes and the game developers' playlists. Um, I believe we have a game developers' playlist coming up. Uh, we'll be back on Monday with the new show, and then after that, there'll be another game developers' playlist. Rebecca, do you want to tell us who's on next week's show? It is uh, Megan Fox, uh, the developer of Skatebird with Glass Bottom Games, and she is showing up to talk about Ultima 7. Excellent. So uh, keep, an, uh, keep an ear out for that next Thursday. Uh, we're going to be back on Monday, as I said, with a new show. Until then, you can get more news, insight, and analysis into the world behind video games at gamesindustry.biz. You know it's a good podcast when we walk away and James has to go download two games. <laughs> <laughs>